0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Girl of Gen Z podcast. I'm your host, Clarissa, and joining me today is Rachel Fryman. Rachel is an online fitness and mindset coach. As Rachel would say, she teaches women how to lose weight while still eating donuts. She also recently launched her book titled Becoming Mindstrong that teaches you how to lose weight based on math and science. Before we go ahead with the episode, if you could kindly take two minutes to rate this podcast five stars, preferably, and leave a review on the podcast app, that would be much appreciated. And if you're watching this on YouTube, if you could give this video a quick thumbs up, subscribe, and hit the notification bell, I will forever be grateful. As always, the timestamps of the topics we cover in the episode will be listed in the episode show notes. Without further ado, let's get on into the episode. Hello, Rachel. Welcome to the show. How are you today?
1: I am awesome. I'm so pumped to be here with you. It's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. thank you for coming on. I'm excited to uh, get started. How is it uh, there in California? That's where you are right now?
1: Tucson now. I actually just left California a couple months ago. Oh Um, wow. Yeah it's uh it's weird. (laughs) I've never lived in the desert before so I'm I'm going from like desert hot to desert cold which is very different than Cali living but other than that it's it's awesome so far.
0: And how is there like a culture shock or anything or does it still feel pretty similar or what? What's it still like?
1: feels pretty west coast. i'm I'm born and raised in New York, so I will always be an East Coaster at heart, but uh, i'm I'm very quickly falling in love with the West Coast.
0: Wow. ok. Well, based on that, then, let's get on started with your upbringing and background. Where were you born? Where did you go to school, and then the career path you chose?
1: Yeah. Um, my background is an odd one. Um, I, in my book came out about a month ago and in it, I describe it as like someone dropped three different resumes and like kind of smooshed them into one. <laughs> so I was born in New York city. Um, I will always consider New York home. And I was a musician for the vast majority of my life. I went to a music high school. I went to college, got a masters in music, and that's what I thought I would be doing forever. Um, and I was jazz musician in New York for a long, long time went on to teach music in South Florida for quite a few years. And it was during my years as a teacher, I just started going to the gym and lifting heavy stuff up and down as, as a release at the end of the day. Because if you've ever taught children, you know, that you need some kind of release, right?
0: Oh yeah. I was a camp counselor for like, Oh, so, you know, so I get it. I totally (laughs) get that.
1: hundred percent. So yeah, when I was teaching, um, I just started going to the gym on my own and it just became a super organic process where. My energy skyrocketed, my health skyrocketed, obviously my body started to shape up and I just had so many female teacher friends, especially come to me and be like, Hey, you know, I would love to start going to the gym, but I'm intimidated. I don't know what to do. It's a scary place. There's huge dudes making weird noises there. And I just started bringing them as friends. I was like, Hey, I'm going to the gym anyway, after work, why don't you tag along? Um, And the feedback that I heard from them was just selfishly, it lit me up. Those oh. things where hearing my good friends say, I feel like a better teacher, a better spouse, a better partner because of how I'm showing up in the world. It just lit my soul on fire. And I was like, you know what? I What I loved about teaching was reaching kids and helping them to be better humans. And something in my soul was just like, this is the work I'm supposed to be doing in the world. I'm supposed to help women that just have these deep seated, limiting beliefs about what fitness is or isn't and what they can and cannot do and help them do the mindset work and the physical work to just completely unleash their life and mind, strong fitness was born.
0: And did you do any powerlifting or strength training? Like what was your kind of regime regime when you were there at the gym, when you were starting out there?
1: I was a hot mess when I started. (laughs) I always tell people that I wish I had taken more videos back then because there'd be some really good viral memes just about now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I had no idea what I was doing. I went, um, one of my favorite stories is about my first few months in the gym, I went with a friend of mine who was smaller than me, but about seven times stronger than me, which drove me insane. I bet. (laughs) And so I would go to the gym, I would watch her do these workouts. I would think it looks easy. I would try to do them. I'd suck at them. And I just, I learned the hard way. Like most of us, I learned by trial and error and injuring myself and doing tons of research and then just not seeing results over and over again. And the teacher in me, always needs clarity, right? The teacher in me is like, once I understood how it worked, it was like this burning desire of why aren't people teaching this in a clear, concise manner? Like nutrition is a skill. You can learn to ride a bike. You can learn the skill of nutrition, but Google fat loss, and you're going to find 7,000 shake systems instead of anyone teaching you how to do this while eating the food you love and how to make it a lifestyle. So it just became this thing where I was like I don't want anyone to learn the way I did. That was so unnecessary. That took so much longer than it had to. It was so much more confusing than it had to. And I just set out to start a company different than what I saw out there where it's not based on buy my program, follow my point system, but like hey, I'm not a coach, I'm a teacher, right? At my core, I will always be an educator. So my job I always joke, I have the worst business model in the world. Cause my job is to teach you to do this. So you never need me again. It's like a one shot deal, <laughs> but it's true. When you approach this stuff as a skill, it's something you put the time in to learn once. And then you just have it for the rest of your life. I like it
0: straight to the point. No fluff.
1: Exactly. So
0: to kick off the diet talk then in your opinion, why do you think diets fail?
1: Oh my gosh. We could talk for two hours about <laughs> that one. <laughs> So the, part of this is, is human biology and a huge part of this is human psychology. Um, in, in my book, we do this exercise where I, at the end of each section, there's actually a part called put in the work where you actually sit there and, and do these exercises. And one of my favorite exercises is you make a chart and you write down every single diet you've ever tried in your life. And for some people, this could be 10. For some people, this could be 150. And then in the next column, you write down what the diet, how it worked. And most of us don't know how it was supposed to work, but what were the rules, right? Don't eat this, only eat this, follow this point system, eat these, you know, frozen meals each day. And what we start to see is that even if you've done 150 diets in your entire life, at their core, they were all the same diet. They were 150 versions of the same diet, because every diet out there is telling you what you quote unquote can or can't eat. And Anything about human psychology will tell you that as human beings, we are designed to avoid pain and seek pleasure. That's how we were designed. And first and foremost, we're designed to avoid pain. So if you sit there and you put your horse blinders on and you tell your body, I can't eat this, I can't eat this, I can only eat this, and you're trying to live off willpower and you're trying to live off restriction, it is human nature that at some point, you're not just going to cave, you're going to cave and you're going to binge hardcore because you've been living in this state of discomfort, the state of restriction, which goes against human psychology. So the key is what I mentioned before, when we start to approach nutrition as a skill, it's just like budgeting your money. There, there's no, no such thing about foods you can or can't eat. Like if you know me, anyone who knows me knows that I have a love affair with Krispy Kreme donuts. I always tell people it's like- a good if love I love affair. <laughs> it's a great love affair. It's the best, it's the longest running relationship I've ever had in my life. <laughs> If I had to choose between a life of fitness and a life of donuts, donuts are going to win hands down every day. But the beauty when you approach nutrition this way is that a donut or three donuts doesn't have to be this cheat meal. It doesn't mean you broke your diet and now you've gone off you know, the deep end and you'll start again next Monday or next month. When you approach nutrition as a skill, you know your quote unquote budget each day and you learn how to spend that budget, so to speak, on the food you love. And what happens when you do it that way is nothing's off limits. You're not living in a state of restriction. You're not relying on willpower, which science has proven is a limited resource. And you're giving yourself choice. And to me, like I did not invent, it's called macro tracking, the approach to nutrition I use. I didn't invent it, but I am someone who has run the gamut and tried everything out there. And I have not found a single thing in all my years of doing this that is as sustainable as macro tracking because it flows with human biology, and more importantly, it flows with human psychology.
0: Right. So have you personally related to diet culture and like food restriction?
1: Yeah. I mean, back when I started, I tried everything. I, I did low-carb diets. I did high-fat diets. I did low-fat diets. Um, I trained for almost a full year and didn't see results. And it was like, to say it was frustrating is like the world's biggest understatement yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was putting in this work. I was being somewhat consistent, not totally consistent at that point. But, but nothing was happening to my body. Like it wasn't shaping up. I checked the mirror every day. Like, do I have muscles Do I have muscles? and I didn't. <laughs> and what I finally learned, I finally, I got with a coach and the first thing they did, of course, is look at my nutrition and it was a hot mess. And of course this stuff take t- takes time. It's it, this is not a literal statement, but it felt like. When Popeye downs the can of spinach and it's like, it was like the second I locked this in, my body was like, thank you. Like this is what we've been waiting a solid year for. And it started to shape up. Because nutrition is honestly the key to this. When people say to me, you know, I don't know where to start, nutrition, workouts, what should I be doing? A hundred percent of the time the answer is nutrition. It is 90% of this game, and we're gonna eat every day anyway, right? You're not necessarily gonna move every day, but you're gonna eat every day. So this is all about momentum. The best thing you can do is start by getting your nutrition in check and just let that snowball build and get that momentum going.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned you had a coach. How was that experience like having your first coach and do you still have a coach now? Is it the same one or. Different? Um, I do
1: not have the same one. I go in and out with coaches. And this is true of every area of my life. Uh, I am obviously I am a coach. So I'm such a huge believer. Like there is the cheap and easy way. And I spent a lot of my younger years going the cheap and easy way. And not even the older I've got in terms of number, but in terms of experience, whether it's fitness, whether it's nutrition, whether it's starting my business, whether it's relationships, whatever it is, the, the biggest, one of the biggest lessons I've learned in my own life is that investing in yourself is going to save you so much time and energy down the road. So, you know, that experience was, was such a blinding proof of how true that is. Like I got a coach, I immediately saw results. Now, then I learned enough to do it on my own. But when the time came to level up, first thing I did was hire a coach. When I went to write a book, I had no idea how to write a book. I'd never done it before. First thing I did was was hire a coach. When I went to start a business, I had no idea what I was doing. First thing I did was hire a coach. And it's scary for people, right? It's an investment. And so often we're so willing to spend on other people, but we feel selfish and greedy to invest in ourselves. But when you look back at whatever the end game is for you, if you, if you stop there, and look back at your process, 99.9% of the time, you're going to say to yourself, I wish I had just done it right the first time. And it's scary. It's a leap of faith. It's, it's jumping off the cliff and building your wings on the way down, which is one of my favorite ways to live life. Um, but it will save you so much time and energy in the long run.
0: I feel like it can be hard to reach out and ask for that extra help or that lending hand. Now I know personally, I, I'm a, huge question asker i asked for lots of help but i have a lot of family members boyfriend that don't ask for help so much so did you feel like you could easily ask these people were you really just trying to get it done by yourself before you really really okay i i need to get some another opinion on this
1: yeah i think especially back then there was a lot of that i mean it took me a solid year in retrospect i'm like why the hell did i wait a solid year but it, it's a lot of that. It's we have this idea that I'll figure it out on my own. I could probably do it better. Like, I don't need someone to tell me what to do, especially if you're like a, a driven individual, as I'm sure a lot of that like you are and a lot of your listeners are. But again, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, you can absolutely put your own twist on it and you probably can make this better. But why not save the time of learning the foundation from a pro now? Like you're gonna go through this trial and error process and it is gonna take you years. And I don't care if that's business, health and fitness, whatever. It is gonna take you years if you're trying trial and error. So why not skip that process? Have someone teach you the foundation and then go do your thing from there. And you're right. It's scary to ask for help. There's a whole bunch of ego involved in that, especially with health and fitness. There's some shame around it, right? I get women all the time who are like, I want help, but I don't wanna see my information on paper. I don't wanna see my numbers. And that's something we talk about a lot is self-worth, like whatever that number on the scale says, it's there anyway, right? All we're doing is, is getting clear on things so that we can come up with an action plan. So a whole bunch of this, whatever topic we're talking about when it comes to hiring a coach is, is recognizing that, that that's ego and that's okay, we all have ego, but if you truly want to make lifestyle changes, there needs to be this this space, this separation of this is not my self-worth, this is not make me a good or bad person this is just data and I'm just going to put it out there so that I can move forward with it.
0: Right. I love the way you put that. What is one struggle that you share with clients that often feel the same way?
1: Oh, interesting. Um, I think for a really, really long time, the scale was such a mind game to me. And I know that so, so many women struggle with this. This is something I'll work with people for 12 weeks and 12 weeks in, They know it logically, but we've been so hardwired to believe the scale to be the be all end all that it's one of these things where it's neuroscience. And we literally have pathways in our brain that tell us the scale is a reflection on what's actually happening in my body or my self-worth or if this is working or not. Um, And I lived like that for years. I, I would check the scale almost every day. I would freak out if it went up. I'd celebrate if it went down and it drove me freaking crazy. And now when I work with people and I tell them, listen, the scale is great for long-term data, but it's always going to fluctuate as much as one to seven pounds overnight. Like, can you imagine skip, stepping on the scale and seeing it go up seven pounds, right? When you're working so hard, but it happens. And as you do this longer and longer, like it's easy for me to sit here and say to you like, hey, take the scale with a grain of salt. It is not the be all end all but well, you step on in the morning when you've been working your butt off and you see it went up seven pounds, like <laughs> screw you, Rachel. I don't want to hear that right now. <laughs> so I think just constantly rem- reminding clients of that, reminding women of that um, because it, it like hits me in my soul because I rem- remember what that feels like and how crushing it can be. But it, it's such a truth of this journey that the scale is not the be all end all at the end of the day, weight loss is math and science. If you do it correctly, it works. It's not a guessing game the way the industry has set it up to be. And regardless of if that scale is fluctuating every day, if you're doing it correctly, it will work. But most people give up because of that. So there's a huge mindset shift to be made around the scale.
0: Right. How can one build up a positive or a more positive relationship with food after
1: so much continued restriction? Oh, I love that question. Um, one of, so as I mentioned, this, the skill I teach is called macro tracking and the, the very, very short summary of macro tracking is it's a lot like calorie counting, but in a way that's designed to make sure you're fueling your body for the body composition you want and for tons of energy. So in short macros stands for macronutrients. They're very simply carbs, fat, protein. Those are the three nutrients your body needs, carbs, fat, and protein. So what we do when we track macros is I would give you your personal macro plan. So I would say you're gonna eat 100 grams of protein, 150 grams of carbs, 60 grams of fat. I just made that up, Don't <laughs> nobody use those numbers, it <laughs> won't work. This is an example. This is an example, right? <laughs> I just start getting death threat emails saying, I gained weight with your numbers, I'm just making those up. And so here's what happens. What you what we're going to work on together over the next few weeks is you're going to learn to eat the foods that you love. So if you're a vegetarian, you can eat vegetarian. If you eat meat, you can eat meat. If you're gluten-free, you can eat, it doesn't matter what you eat. As long as you hit your numbers each day, it's math and it's science and you will lose weight. But as we talked about before, the beauty is there's no restriction. So if you want to have that donut for breakfast, you can fit it into your macros each day. And when we start to make this mental shift, when, when it starts to become freedom and choice and oh, if I want pizza, I'm just choosing to spend more macros on that. I'm going to spend a bunch of carbs and fat on pizza today. It's going to take up a big amount of my budget and that's cool. And then I'll just make different choices the rest of the day. And one of my favorite pieces of feedback that I get from clients when they've really locked in the skill of macro tracking is they'll come back and they'll tell me, you know what this did was it healed my relationship with food. And I have had so many clients, the beauty of having an online company is that I have clients all over the globe, like Australia, New Zealand, wherever. And I've had so many clients from all over the world use that exact phrase that without noticing it healed their relationship with food because suddenly standing over the sink at night, eating a tablespoon of peanut butter is not you binging. It's you hitting your fat macros at the end of the day, right? Eating a donut is not, oh, I have no willpower. I suck at life. I'm never going to make this last. It's cool. I just fit a donut into my macros. And when you do that for weeks and weeks and weeks, and this becomes just how you eat, you literally never diet again. And most importantly, to your point, it just, it heals that relationship with food. There's no more good or bad can or can't. It's just, everything's about choice.
0: Okay. I like that. I like that explanation. Describe your experience in the fitness industry. Do you feel like maybe there's a lot of myths that you're trying to squash or people harp on the little things, not looking at the bigger picture.
1: Yes. (laughs) So I I am sure there are many, many people in the health and fitness industry that, that are not fans of of me and mind strong fitness. Um, Because at the end of the day, as I said, I don't consider myself a trainer. I consider myself a teacher. And while there are, some really good coaches and some really good companies in the health and fitness industry, there is a ton of BS. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. And most of that is feeding on people who don't know any better. And as a teacher, that that hits me right in my gut because I see women, especially who this isn't just a matter of like, Oh, I don't have a lot of energy. I don't feel good. It becomes these limiting beliefs about who we are. Right? The stories that we tell ourselves over and over again are things like, I'm weak. I'm just destined to be overweight. I have no willpower. This is never going to work for me. And it just knocks and knocks their self-esteem down. And as much as I am a huge believer in personal ownership, I just want to hug these people and tell them, this is not your fault. The industry is set up in a way where they want to hand you one fish at a time. Because if you don't know how to fish on your own, you have to keep shelling out your money week after week after week right? If, if the only thing you know is that spending $120 on a month a month on a shake is going to help you lose weight, well, now you're stuck. Now you have to keep spending that money every month if you want the results to continue. And when you stop, which you probably will eventually because shakes are usually gross and they get expensive, right? When you stop, not only are you going to gain the weight back, you're going to gain back even more because these are set up to destroy your metabolism. So all of that missing information, all of that like sneakiness in the industry has led to such deep seated limiting beliefs in so many people. And I say women a lot just because that's, that's who I tend to work with, but this is true of anyone. And my job in this industry, the when I was about to start Mind Strong, I, I had a lot of internal debates with myself about this. And it was the, the world does not need another fitness company. There are billions of fitness companies out there. It doesn't need another one. But what I saw is that there was some, there was a huge gap. There was, there were two things that were completely missing. And that's the mindset tools that go along with training, the physical and the education standpoint, that there are not enough people out there saying, listen, this is how you do this. Literally come to me once, give me 12 weeks with you. I will teach you to do it. And then if you want to hang out, we'll hang out, but you will never need me again. And to me as a teacher, like that's the be all end all. I want to teach you to fish. I want to learn to teach you to take complete control of this so that you don't need me or anyone else in this industry ever, ever again.
0: Well said. Well said. Do you feel drawn to working with a certain demographic? So whether it's women in their twenties, moms that have four kids and are trying to, you know, lose a bit of weight, What what's your, your target there?
1: Yeah, that took me a long time to figure out. Um, when I started my business, it was everyone. Right. And I remember my business coach very early on said, if you're talking to everyone, you're talking to no one. (laughs) I I was like, I don't know what that means. I just need clients. Like (laughs) I'll talk to everyone. Um, but part of it's an organic process. Part of it is just, I mean, this is a whole other conversation we could have about failure where, when, when you start a business there, and this is true of health and fitness is true of everything. I mean, I'm sure, you know, this from running your podcast, like you're either going to view when you do something and you fail, You can decide, okay, this wasn't for me. Like it didn't work. I tried it, I failed, end of story. Or it's simply information, right? So I would do launch after launch after launch when I would start my business and I was talking to no one. It was crickets, like nothing was happening. And it became this thing where I just started paying attention to the data. Who am I talking to? Who's responding? Who are most of my followers? Who's engaging in my Facebook group? It's the analytics Um, you really like. Exactly, and it's interesting because I'm not a detail-oriented person. I'm not a very analytical person. But it's it's either going to be a blow to your ego that it's not working, or it's going to be a place to dig in and be like, well, what is working? Who am I speaking to? Who's listening right now? And for me, it became a very, it, it was very easy for me to pinpoint because it was the same demographic. I tend to um, attract women from the age of about 30 to 45. Okay. And the common theme is I work with a lot of teachers, a lot of nurses, a lot of moms. It's, women who are givers, and this is such a theme, especially with women, where we will give, give, give. We will put everyone else first at the expense of our own health because taking time for us is selfish, right? And mindset work that the single best thing you can do for your students, for your family, for your clients, for your partners is to show up as your best self, because your energy is how you show up in this world. Your energy is everything, and you can only show up as your best version for them if you feel good about yourself. And that's a conversation we have over and over again, that it is the least selfish thing you could be doing.
0: Right. Do you still train or train with any of the, the
1: co-workers you had teaching? I don't just because they're back in Florida. Right. Um, okay. I have had the unique experience. I just moved to Tucson. What's it been? two months ago, three months ago, and one of my clients, we always joke that she's she's a billboard for MindStrong Fitness because she lost like 35 pounds and she's Woo! super toned now, yeah. She looked, she looks incredible. She, we went to high school together. We lost touch after high school. And then years and years, like over a decade later, she reached out to me and was like, hey, I saw your company online, can I work with you? And she went on to just completely rock It lost 35 pounds, like has guns now. And she lives in Tucson. So when I moved here, we become, she's one of my best friends now. So the, literally the day I moved here, she goes, okay, it's COVID. I know you're not going to a gym. I'm building a home gym so that you'll come over and train with me.
0: I love it. <laughs> right. Full circle, real full circle there.
1: So she's one of uh, three people in my quarantine bubble and the only long lost friend that I get to train in person with now.
0: Gotcha. Do you have any home gym equipment?
1: Oh, I've got it all since COVID. Um, I, I love the gym. The gym is my happy place. It's, it's my stress relief. Uh, the second COVID hit, I knew that, um, it was going to be a while. So I spent days and hours and weeks on (laughs) any website I could find building, um, whatever home gym I could, I could get to get through, but Right now I was in California at the time. So apartment living is, is going to make it limited in Florida. I had like the full detached garage gym. Gotcha. So uh, I was very grateful to her for, (laughs) for building like an actual gym where I could get some semblance of being back there. Does she live in a house then? She lives in a house. So yeah, I'm in an apartment. Okay.
0: So what did you do with your stuff when you were back and did you have to sell it before you moved?
1: Yeah, when I left Florida, I sold my entire home gym. And then I'm sure
0: that wasn't hard. I feel like everyone (laughs) needs equipment right now.
1: That was well before COVID. So then of course when COVID hit, I was like, no.
0: (laughs) One time I actually need it all. Exactly. What advice do you have for someone who has been into the gym scene for a few years now and is starting to hit somewhat of a plateau?
1: Yeah. So plateaus in some ways plateaus are part of the process, but staying there is a choice. So when we talk about, there's two parts to this, right? There's nutrition and, and there's, there's workouts. Your nutrition will tell you very clearly if it's working or not. If you've been consistent, because that is the key. And when you've been consistent for a long time, and I'm purposely saying a long time, because most people eat healthy for a week, they'll hit their macros for a week and say, why isn't anything happening? And the answer is you didn't get to this state in a week, like buckle in. It's going to be when you do this, right? It's a slow journey but it's not about that goal number. It's about habits and building these habits and staying consistent. When it comes to the gym, the way that muscle growth happens, then this sounds terribly painful, but it's not. This is how our bodies work. When you push your muscles to do what they can't yet do, you actually create little tears in the muscle fibers. So your muscles are not actually growing when you're in the gym working out. In the gym, you're actually tearing the muscles apart, not, as painfully as that sounds. But when you go home and you eat and you sleep and you hydrate and you relax, that's when your muscles heal heal, and that's when they grow. So when most people start going to a gym, they start seeing results right away because their muscles are waking up and being like, holy crap, we're working here. Let's create some muscle fiber tears and, and get kicking. But if you're not pushing yourself in the gym, if you're not trying to lift heavier, at some point, you're just doing motions over and over again that your body already knows how to do. So it's it's normal to hit a plateau, but it is not normal to stay there. If you've stopped seeing results, either your nutrition's no longer in check, maybe you lost weight, maybe you gained weight and you need to look at your numbers again. And when it comes to the gym, it means that it's time to start pushing the weight. You have to be lifting heavier weight or pushing yourself to try to lift heavier weight week after week after week so that you can create those tears and get your muscles to grow.
0: Got it, okay. The word mind strong is in your business name as well as your book title. I feel like it just is carried everywhere with you now. Where did this stem from and what made you come up with it? What does it mean to you?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny you ask that because when you asked me my opinion of the health and fitness industry, I was going to say the full book title is called Becoming Mind Strong. Am, am I allowed to curse on here? Should I? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the full book title is called Becoming Mind Strong The Truth About Health, Fitness, and the Bullshit That's Holding You Back. So, that bullshit is a big theme of, of what I do in my company. Um, MindStrong comes from, from two places. And this relates exactly back to what I was saying before about the two gaps in the industry. The mindset piece is key. And when, a lot of times the word mindset is throw, thrown around and we think of it as like rainbows and glitter and unicorn and feel good stuff. But the reality is that this is neuroscience, right? We have literal wirings in our brain right now that make us who we are. We talk to ourselves all day long in our heads. Our internal monologue is how we see life. It's how we view ourselves. And most of us are not even aware of what it's saying to us and it's bashing us down and down and down. And then we wonder why we're walking around feeling like crap all day. So a huge part of this process is being conscious of the internal monologue going on. It's being conscious of even just the approach we're taking. Do we have the all in, all out mindset about nutrition, about fitness? and actually doing exercises to rewire our brains. In In my online programs I do, we not only do nutrition and workouts, but we do mindset trainings where we journal about what thoughts are coming up, right? Is it, I ate that donut and now I've messed up my diet because that's all in all out. And we start putting little red flags on certain thoughts and re, rewiring our brains. And then the other part of MindStrong, um, besides the mindset is the education piece. And that is really, the basis of, of all of my programs. All of my online programs are based in a way where whether you're doing eight weeks or 12 weeks or a year with me, it's designed in a way where I am gonna teach you. I'm not just gonna do it for you. I am gonna do it for you. But while I'm doing it for you, I'm gonna explain how, how we came up with this, right? When I w- write up your personal macro plan, it's not just here, eat this. It's here's how I got your numbers. Here's where we're going with your numbers. And here's why they're set where they are. So when our time together is up, you're in complete control. Like you just, and think about that for a second, because nutrition is a topic most of us have struggled with our entire lives, but being willing to put in eight or 12 weeks of work and walking away, knowing that you have complete control over your nutrition is just massive. And that can only happen when, when you get educated, when you fully understand the process.
0: I see. So the book you wrote, which we've talked about a little bit, Becoming Mind Strong, teaches you how to create lifelong habits by training your mind along with your body, like you had mentioned. So what made you wanna write this book? And did you have this idea a while ago? Did you, This was just this a recent aha moment. Tell us the process.
1: Yeah, you know, it's so funny with New Year's about to, to come up, or maybe it'll be out by the time this comes out. Um, I do an exercise every year that came from my business coach where I don't believe in new year's resolutions. I think they're setting yourself up for failure. Fair enough. But she gave me a great exercise that I continue to do this to this day where you write a letter to your past self. I feel like I'm going to mess this up. self. <laughs> so I would write it like it was the end of 2021. As we're about to go into 2021, I would write it to past Rachel as if it's the end of 2021. Okay. And I would tell her all the awesome stuff I accomplished that year. So I'm saying it like it already happened.
0: Also like reverse it almost.
1: Exactly. Yep. I'm I'm writing it as if I'm future Rachel and telling past Rachel about everything that's already happened this year. And I love this exercise and I bring it up because I, I write this every like leading up to New Year's Eve. And then I forget about it usually. So I went back and read mine from last year. And one of the things I said, I did not say I wrote a book. I said, um, I'd been writing a lot more articles and they'd been getting published in various magazines and, and online places. And I went back and read it and I was like, holy crap, I did more than that. I wrote a freaking book. <laughs> and it's such a, especially you know, as, as business owners and um, we always move that bar, right? It's like, here's my goal. Okay, I hit it, what's the next thing? And sometimes just taking that moment to reflect and be like, wow, like that that's even beyond what I set out to do is really important just for our own mindset training. Um, but the book came about because, as I mentioned before, it's, it's super interesting having an online company and talking to women that live in California, and then talking to women who live in England, and then talking to women who live in Australia. I always joke with my clients that I wish I could just get all of them on the phone together, so that they could hear that the things they think are their limitations or their weaknesses or their issues are so universal. Almost every woman I've ever spoken to, and men too, I have a handful of male clients here and there, and it's the same thing. Just women tend to take it harder for whatever reason. But we're all telling the same stories. We're all beating ourselves up about the same thing and we're all faced with the same struggles, but we tend to think it's just us. So after building an Instagram following and having a super active Facebook group and doing Facebook lives and working with all these women all over the world, I just found myself saying the same things over and over again. And I felt the need to reassure all of them that they're not alone in this. And it just hit a point where I was like, I know when I started my business, I knew early on it was gonna be online because there's limited hours in a day. And if I'm one-on-one with people, I just can't reach as many people as I need to be reaching. So the next level of that is, okay, if I do a Facebook Live, I could reach a few thousand people at a time. What's bigger than that? How can I get this message out to as many people as possible? Um, and it, the next step to that was just writing a book. So it was it was an intense process. Um, I'm someone who works a lot and works really hard and loves working. And it was hands down the single most <laughs> i've ever worked on anything in my entire life so it was about a year and a half in the making and um it was just published last month and hit amazon bestseller status overnight and it's just been a, a whirlwind since then
0: congratulations that's crazy Thank you. Thank
1: you. Yeah.
0: um and i want to stay on that topic for a second so what was the publication process like um you mentioned it earlier in the call that you had a coach for that too because you didn't know how to write a book or put one together yet um, Large challenges stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it was a super intense process. Um, I started writing just on my own. I was like, I think I'll sit down and start a book (laughs) and I started writing. And then a friend of mine who had published a book a year before put me in touch with her book coach who lived in England. So we had a a pretty intense time difference. We used to have zoom meetings at, um, I think 530 AM my time. Once a week, we would sit there and chat. She'd give me my assignment. At this point, I was still teaching full-time. So I would wake up, I'd have my hour-long Zoom with her. She'd give me my writing assignment. I'd write for an hour or two before I went to school. I would teach all day. I would come back, I would go to the gym and then I would start editing the book. Um, And it was just, beyond the hours, like whatever, you know, we can all put our head down and get the hours in if we need to. It was such an interesting experience for me in vulnerability, like one of the, The book is is like 70% mindset, 30% nutrition. And a lot of it is around these limiting beliefs and what's held us back and all the neuroscience that you and I talked about. And for me, I share in the book, a lot of my stories come from, I was raised in a very black and white family that like, if you're gonna do something, you're gonna freaking do it. Like you, it's either all or nothing, right? That like, that was my, that's where my work ethic comes from. It served me really well in some ways. And it's held me back in a lot of ways. So a lot of my work in the book writing process, um, it was a, a lot of getting aggravated with my book coach because she would say like, you're dancing around the story you want to tell and you just need to tell it. She's like, you need to just like rip your guts open and just put your your story on paper. And I was like, have you read the book? Like that's the issue. <laughs> I'm sitting here saying that vulnerability is an issue and you're telling me to just go ahead and do it. Um, so I don't know, like most things in life, I'm such a huge believer that all things are are connected and- when you start a health and fitness journey, you're going to learn a lot about the limiting beliefs going on in your head. And when you write a book, you're going to learn a lot about the limiting beliefs going on in your head and you start a business and same thing. So it was definitely um, one of the biggest challenges I've ever done in life, just in terms of the amount of work it took and also just the amount of putting it all out there. Like it, it is a crazy feeling for me that my coming out story is now <laughs> in a book like <laughs> in New Zealand in someone's hand. Um, and that's a very, very strange feeling. But then you start hearing that feedback from people who are like, reading this book is like listening to you talk. Like, I feel like you're sitting next to me. And hearing stuff like that, I'm like, that That made every single early morning worth it.
0: Aww. How long did it take you to write the book again? Roughly? A year and a half.
1: Well, it was written in about Eight months to a year. And then the editing process, the publishing process, it was a year and a half from the day I hired my coach to the day it hit the bookshelves.
0: That doesn't seem like that long from like other like memoirs and stuff I've read of other people. They're like, oh, it took me five years to like fully have the final draft. I'm like, five years. Like, I feel like you've <laughs> oh, spent through it compared to them. But um, did you have a co author or is it just fully you?
1: It was fully me. I mean, my, my book coach was invaluable. She would sit there and like just tear to pieces and I'd be like, I thought that line was funny. She's like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it wouldn't be the book. It was without her, but it would, it was me doing the writing.
0: Okay. So what is, what was the easiest, maybe I should use a different word part about the book writing process and then the most difficult.
1: The easiest part was knowing what I wanted to say um and i think that was was came about because i'd already had my business for quite a few years if i had tried to write a book before having clients and building a social media following and you know speaking on facebook lives and podcast interviews so much i think it would have been a lot harder i knew what my message was and i knew with extreme clarity what what the book was about right so there's no rambling there's no like dancing around issues it's like here's what we're gonna tackle and let's dive in chapter by chapter. By far the hardest part was the editing process. I, day one with my book coach, she's, I will never forget this. She said to me, you're about to see why everyone says they wanna write a book and very few people do. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and editing week, I found out what it was. Um, I literally, the apartment I lived in in California had offices downstairs, like these cute little cubicle things for two weeks straight I went into the cubicle at 5 a.m and I came out at about 8 p.m and did that every single day from when we kicked off the editing process until it went to the publisher and it I related to childbirth I don't have kids but I imagine that this is what it's like where when I handed it over I was like I am never doing that again and then about two weeks later I was like I'll totally do it again
0: So did you have to fully do all the editing or did your book coach give you things to look at? And then you had to relook at it. Like, how does that go?
1: It was, it was everyone. Um, she did a ton of editing along the way. Uh, I edited, it went to test readers. So I had about 10 early readers that got like big old (laughs) copies from Kinko that were mailed to them and they read through and gave feedback. Um, once that's what a big part of that, those two weeks were, I had 10 test readers from all over the country send back the entire manuscript, like in a spiral bound Kinko's version with each one of them just writing it up, tearing it apart. How did and they then pick my, the
0: test readers?
1: Um, it, I just picked people that were like my ideal readers that okay, I trusted okay. their feedback. Okay. So it was my book coach editing, it was me editing, it was 10 test readers editing. And then my job was to sit down and and basically rewrite everything. And then it went to the publisher who did three rounds of their own editing. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I, I will never look at a book on the bookshelf the same same way again. (laughs) There's no more glossing over it. And then the final
0: or what you think might be the final, um, do they hand back to you and you give it a full read then before it goes out? Yeah.
1: That was one of the craziest parts is the final that you approve is a PDF. So I had now spent a year and a half reading my book as a PDF. So the day that it was mailed to me and I held it in my hand was like, Holy crap. Like, this is a thing. This, I remember I did a Facebook live as I opened the package. Like I did it live. So uh, my crew in there could see and the entire live is me like fighting back tears going, this is a thing. This is a real thing I'm holding right now.
0: That is wild. And how did Mm -hmm. you come up with, um, like the book cover? Cause I know you're on it, right? So did you have a vision or were you like, I I need help with figuring out what I want to portray on the cover?
1: Yeah, the publisher's design team um, was huge in that. Uh, the original cover looked nothing like the final cover. The The original the cover, shot. I have a headshot where it's a super cool picture. It's um, me lifting a weight, so it's like veins popping out, and I'm staring in the mirror, and you can see the reflection of me. And I love that picture. It's one of my favorite headshots. But on a book cover, it looks super intimidating. <laughs> So that was the first mock-up. And when we started talking about my ideal client and like the women that would walk by and see this in a bookshelf, we were like, this is not the image that would make them pick up a book. That's an image where they would be like, I don't want arms. like that. <laughs> <laughs> So we went with a much softer, like hair down, arms on my side, gym in the background. More like um,
0: welcoming and like warm to reach for. Exactly, on the- exactly.
1: For sure. But it's always funny to go back and see the first draft of everything versus the final draft. Um, but they were awesome. I I can get very I'm not detail oriented, but when it comes to finished product, the this poor team, I I probably went back a hundred times with them, was like, can you just move this to the left a little <laughs> bit? <laughs> but I'm so happy with how, how it came out. It's it's awesome.
0: Is there anything you've taken from this book writing process that you will pursue in another book you may write in the future?
1: Um, I yeah, I think this one I've <laughs> now that it's been a few months and like the labor is behind me, I've started thinking about what the next one will look like and i i think that this book is going to wind up being the big picture ideas um and then the next one would be taking some of the core concepts and really digging in and this goes back to our our analytics conversation from before is that i love hearing the feedback from people reading the book and it's interesting to me to hear patterns i love i'm I'm a big pattern person i love human behavior i love patterns so hearing the parts that stick out to people. I'm taking notes now of like, oh, people really like the all in all out. So I I think the next book is going to be taking those topics that really popped for people and just digging in on a deeper level into those.
0: Okay. Okay. Good to know. Uh, So what is next for you? What can people expect?
1: Well, first, I'm going to take a break. <laughs> yeah,
0: much, much needed, I'm yes, sure.
1: With the holidays coming up, uh, after a year and a half of work, um, it was pretty incredible that the launch date happened. It was November 17th, so it was like right before the holidays. It was perfect. People are giving them as gifts. Fantastic. Now I like cleared my calendar for the week of Christmas. I'm going to take a break <laughs> and cleave my computer closed, which hasn't happened in quite a few years. Um, after that, I have, uh, I have my own podcast, also called Becoming Mind Strong. And we just finished record. I say we, I've just finished recording the second season, <laughs> me and my podcast editor. Um, so the second season of, of my podcast, Becoming Mindstrong is going to launch in January. So I say I'm taking a break, but I, I won't <laughs> because we have to finish getting those, those episodes uploaded. Um, yeah. And then in January, we're doing, I'm super excited about this. We're doing a virtual book club in my Facebook group because I was thinking I was looking at my bookshelf behind me thinking like, if if I had the choice of what I would love to do with my favorite books, what would the answer be? And the answer is I'd love to sit down with the author and pick their brains and hear them talk about each chapter and like dig into the the work in each section and ask them what's going on. And someone in my Facebook group made a joke about like getting their friends together for a book club. And I was like, nope, that's not a joke. We're doing a virtual book club. So in, starting January 6th, every Wednesday, um, I'm going live in my Facebook group. We're going to do a chapter a week and it's going to it's going to be awesome because it's going to be time to like sit down with the author of a book that you're reading and hear what I was thinking when we wrote it, go through the put in the work sections at the end of the chapters and just completely dig in a week at a time.
0: And are you going di- to dissect your book or other people's books as well?
1: No, it'll be for my books. We're going to go oh, okay. chapter by chapter through my book.
0: Okay, nice. I like that. I like that idea. It's so like personable and like community-oriented. And it's a really good way about going about it.
1: Yeah, especially in times of COVID where right now I'd be doing traditional book tours. So this was kind of the uh, – first it was like the next best option, but the more I thought about it, I'm like, I think this is kind of better because no one wants to sit there and just hear me read a chapter of the book. <laughs> let's dig in and let's, let's get to the root of what we're talking about. Then. Do
0: you see a book tour happening once COVID subsided or –
1: Yeah, I would love, um, my, my marketing team has been working on kind of virtual book tours of teaming up with, with gyms and nutrition shops and doing virtual workshops, but I love human connection. Like I love being able to sit there and hug someone and talk to them about the book. So, um, if, if, or when this clears up, uh, I, I would love to, to kick off a book tour. Um, We'll see what happens with the numbers. Otherwise, that'll be for the second one.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes sense, makes sense. And you mentioned your podcast. So do you run that out of your own place or do you like go to a studio to record? Do you have an editor? How does that go?
1: Um, I record them at home, which actually <laughs> I'm working on. As I mentioned, I just moved into this apartment a couple months ago. So you know how this goes. Like I'm still trying to find <laughs> the best room to record. Oh in. yeah, oh yeah. Get
0: the best audio, no echo, yeah. Exactly.
1: So um, with a background in music, when I first started, it was super easy for me to, to edit the podcast. Cause I used garage band for years as a musician. And then just as my, I mean, you know, this as well as a business owner, like at some point, it's just like, I don't want to spend the hour doing that. Even if it's only an hour, like I would rather pay someone to just, I'll record them. I'll hand off the raw files. And I'm you the do same
0: it. way. I don't like editing. Like I'll do it if it's needed, but it's yeah. not my favorite thing in the world.
1: Right. Like I'd rather spend my energy engaging with my Facebook group or, yeah. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, I, my, um, my team is is fairly small in general. It, I run the business. I have two assistants and a podcast editor. You have two so, assistants or are you cut out? Yeah, two virtual assistants um, and a podcast editor. And okay. they are invaluable because I used to spend so much time on the logistics of the business. And one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that the more time I can spend engaging with people, the better it is for them, the better it is for my business. So now it's, it's worth the investment to pay people to handle the logistic stuff like podcast editing and let me focus my attention on on what serves the most people.
0: Right, and are you partnered with a podcast hosting company like Podcast One or any of those ones, or you're solo for now?
1: Um, we host on uh, Buzzsprout.
0: Okay, okay, nice. Yeah. Um, so then my last question that I usually ask everyone is: Are you happy with the direction of life taken? So I know you said you were a teacher for many years, and then you shifted to this. Are you happy with kind of where it's going now?
1: Oh my God, I've never been <laughs> happier in my life. Uh, I talk a lot about and I I think this is something interesting for a lot of people to think about just thinking about like patterns and themes. I think all of us have this underlying theme in our life, like there's a common thread of what lights us up. And, you know, we started this interview talking about that my resume kind of looks like three resumes smushed together. But when I step back and I look at it, you know, I was a musician because I loved the power that music holds over people. That if you're having a bad day, you can go to a jazz club that night and you could listen to me play and your whole state could change. And then I went on to teach middle school music and it wasn't about teaching music. It was about reaching kids who were at an awkward time in their life. Like middle school is a weird time and helping them to become strong, confident humans and, and good people. And then with my fitness business, it's the same thing. Like I'm teaching women to take control of their energy, to take control of their health and to live their best life. And when I take a step back and look at it, like the theme of what lights me up in the world is this idea of helping other people live their most unleashed life. And whether that's music, whether that's teaching, whether that's health and fitness, whether that's something else, 10 years from now, that, that is what lights me up. That's what sets my soul on fire. And I think for so many of us, we live in a society of shooting, right? I call it shooting all over ourselves. So I, or should we should do this? We shouldn't do this. Um, and there's so many stigmas around what we do for a living and taking giant leaps and living in a comfort zone versus fear. And I just think it's super important. The more time you can spend tapping into what truly lights you up. And that doesn't mean you have to start a business. That doesn't mean you have to quit your job, but there's a reason that we get lit up about the things we get lit up about and w- instead of trying to push that down the more you can find an outlet for that the more happy you're going to be to get out of bed every morning like it's a difference between hitting snooze 20 times and waking up and spending the day doing stuff that you that you can't wait to do and i feel like it you know this this is the next stage my business has been around for about 3 years now and it's it's what i see myself doing in the foreseeable future but I think that even more important than that, tapping into that common thread is what's been key for me. Like I know that no matter what industry I'm in, this is this is what lights me up. This is the work I wanna be doing in this world.
0: So well said, so well said. Well, are there any other closing thoughts you want to add and then plug your social media?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, for any women that, that are listening, my Facebook group is for women only. So sorry guys, I love you, but (laughs) that is my demographic. (laughs) So on Facebook, you can, uh, if you look up mind strong fitness, you'll see my private women only group. You guys are welcome and encouraged. It's an amazing community and they're just super, super supportive people, cheering each other on, sharing some funny stuff in there. Um, on Instagram, uh, my handle is Get Mind Strong. I do a lot of fitness stuff. Uh, Facebook tends to be more nutrition based. Instagram, again, talking about trial and error. I do these like XX check videos that happen by default. I I sucked at Instagram when I started and <laughs> was like talking to crickets, and it just became this organic process where people are like, I really like those videos you do where you teach form, and now my entire feed is teaching form, and it, it's doing well. So. Instagram is get mind strong. Um, Facebook just look at mind strong fitness. The book is called Becoming Mind Strong: The Truth About Health, Fitness, and the Bullshit That's Holding You Back, and it's on Amazon. And then my main website is just mindstrongfitness.com.
0: Amazing. Well, go get her book, guys. I'm sure it's a great read. It's definitely on my list now. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with everyone and your book writing process and your transition from career path to next career path. Um, it means a lot.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Thank
0: you all so much for listening. And I hope you were able to take something away from Rachel's journey. Don't forget to check out all of Rachel's social media platforms and pick up Becoming Strong. I'll see you guys in my next episode.